Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. you do we are the boys in white and blue and we're back with another episode of there's still time the aftn soccer show broadcasting on citr radio 101.9 fm from the unceded musqueam territory at the university of beautiful british columbia i'm michael mccall i'm steve pander and i'm zachary adam eisenheimer and we're back with another Pacho, we're going to be talking about the Canadian national team, World Cup qualifiers, we're going to be talking about the Whitecaps, we're going to be travelling around the world from the, the safety of our armchairs as we look at some talking points in North American football, African football and European football. But before we get into any of that, it's a special episode of the AFTN Soccer Show this time around, because this episode falls in CITR Radio's Fun Drive. Their annual fundraising initiative that they have at the radio station, this year they're targeting raising $25,000 to cover costs, equipment, training and a lot more besides. And they're looking for help from every listener of all the shows on the station, their members, their donors, the general public, everything like that. We've been on CITR Radio now since 2017. We're about to enter, actually this month, we're entering our fifth year on CITR Radio. And next month will be our 10th year of the the podcast as well. So a couple of milestones getting reached this year in 2022. We're proud to be on CITR Radio when you've got sports radio stations closing down in other bits of the city. And the one sports radio station that does remain, the coverage that they give to the Whitecaps, let's be honest, it it doesn't exist very much. Even the Whitecaps radio broadcasts have had to move to a traffic radio station so that they can get the airtime for that. But every week, I was going to say for two hours, that's maybe being a little generous, every week for four to five hours, CITR Radio, turn the airwaves over for us to do our show. But we are pleased to be on CITR Radio. We look forward to another five years at least on the station. So if you do want to make a donation, head over to citr.ca backslash donate. You can donate any amount that you want. Depending on what you do donate this year, there's certain swag on offer. 
On that page as well, there is a bit to say, what show did you hear about this that's made you pledge your money? Please put the AFT and Soccer Show in there. We don't get a cut off the money, I, I would like to stress that. But it does help show that our listeners are listening to these shows and do care about CITR, stuff like that. But that is our our start of Fundrive. We'll mention it a couple more times over the course of the show. Let's kick off the show proper now. It's time for TVOD. 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 If you're a new listener to the show and you wonder what TVOD is, it started off as a section where we just asked Whitecaps players, players in general, what they were watching basically on TV, on Netflix, what they were kind of filling their, their time with. So I, I decided to kind of expand it a little bit. We'll still have those kind of chats, but I want to expand it to delve into some football documentaries that's out there on the streaming services, some football films past and present and we're going to sit down we're going to have watched them then we're going to dig a little bit into it in the show hopefully encourage you to possibly check the the shows out as well so in this episode we're going to be looking at a four-part bbc documentary that aired in september last year on bbc and then moved on to amazon prime i believe around the world in october last year I only got a chance to to watch it over the Christmas period and catch up with that. Mentioned it to Zach as well, and Zach's like taking it in as well. It's called Fever Pitch: The Rise of the Premier League. So it's available on Amazon Prime in Canada. And basically, what the documentary is about, as the name suggests, it's the rise of the English Premier League from when it was formed in 1992, the formative years of it, basically through the 90s, up to the 1999 and 2000 series. It's a four-part show. Episode 1 looked at how the, the Premier League was formed in 1992. For anyone that is unaware, basically, the teams wanted more power, more say. So all the teams resigned at the end of that 91-92 season in May. It was a controversial breakaway. They they threatened to just walk away from English football altogether, set up their own league, break away from the football league altogether and just be an independent entity. Now, for me, Zach, that's not really much different to these Super League plans that, that we were hearing about last year that all these teams were against because there was only six English teams allowed and not all 20 as, as was involved in this breakaway. Yeah, it definitely had that sort of vibe to it, right? Like that they were doing something that was looking out for their own interests and maybe potentially not the best interest of English football as a, as a whole in the same way that the teams that were involved with the European Super League attempt were do, doing likewise, looking out for themselves and maybe not European football as best as a whole. Um, yeah, I totally got those vibes as I was, was re-watching that. And I knew, I knew it was the big clubs that were... Uh, um that were pushing for it um because it happened right before i was getting uh getting into football i started getting football in 93 94 but um that's when i started i think watching uh you know soccer saturday with graham leggett hmm. heard about that so much from from people yeah it, it was uh yeah definitely there was this similarity or this parallel 
I, I don't actually remember too much about the Premier League when it was actually switched over. I knew um, I was actually, and I'm I'm trying to remember the years. I think I was in England, uh, uh, like uh, during the Christmas break in like '91 and '92. Uh, but I don't like it. Never really came up. I was actually um, like our our temple. They had a function in the Christmas season, and it was in uh, Coventry. Oh and yeah, that, you and, mentioned and, about that. Yeah, so we we were around Coventry, so we really weren't exposed that much to the Premier League, and I wasn't. I was just getting into it. Um, the the thing that like really brought me into like, and actually the reason why I chose uh, uh, the team that I I chose to uh, support was the Eric Cantona. Uh, basically, the, his uh, kick uh, at at the West Ham. Uh, I think Crystal it was the West Palace. Ham. No, Crystal, Crystal Palace. Palace. Yeah, Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Crystal Palace game, that was the one that where I actually started paying attention a little bit. I don't know why uh, the the kind of the dark side of myself, like getting interested in something when somebody gets kicked in the chest or whatever. Uh, I mean, that that incident is covered in episode two of the show. Like yeah. Episode one's pretty much just about the formation, the, the first couple of seasons. Episode two then looks at Blackburn's win, which was fueled by money. So again... You look at the Premier League today and Man City walk away with it and it's fueled by money. Back then, you had Jack Warner, who's... I, th- I think he was worth something like £360 million, pounds, uh, I-, I read. And he just splashed the cash. And Blackburn, everyone's like, oh, plucky underdogs, Blackburn winning the Premier League. And then you kind of see in episode three their decline once the money dried up and the success dried up and then they just plummeted and fell like a stone. But episode two, it featured a lot on that Cantona episode and that Kung Fu kick. And I remember that happening and watching the the highlights midweek on BBC One. It was like match of the day highlights and just the controversy at the time. And he faced jail time and then it was... It was a, a a racial slur that was mentioned to him. And there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that either are unaware completely of that incident or they just have a very vague memory of it. But it was it was front page news in the UK at that time. What, what, what really intrigued me, it wasn't even the kick. Um, it was the it was the, the, the quote he did afterwards. And I, I'm, the seagulls. Seagulls, yeah, the seagulls. Troll, yeah. Troll. That, yeah, that was after he was found not guilty or cleared in the courts like, or... Yeah, exactly. So, like, the seagulls, uh, like, I, I was interested a little bit Then when he came out. And I, and I actually, at that point, I was following the whole story and everything like that. And after he got um, um, later cleared and everything... That, that comment was like, I like this guy. It was about the, the <laughs> seagulls follow the trawler. And and then he just sat, he sat down. Everyone wanted to wait to see what he said. And then he said that. Yeah, and, and then he just walked away. And oh. I was like, oh, this guy, this guy is interesting. Um, it's, it's, so when the seagulls follow the trawler, it is because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. That's the that's the comment yeah. I think he did. That's where I thought. Yeah. yeah. For me, my uh, I've told you guys lots. I have a strong strong dislike for Manchester United, but it actually stems from the end of the documentary, which they uh, um, obviously held out to them because they wanted to show the rise of the Premier League leading to a Champions League victory. Yeah. So that's where, oh, of my, course, that's, yes. that's where my, dis, that's where my uh, strong, strong dislike for Manchester United was, uh, you know, is birthed in or where it was formed. Um, 
but uh, in those earlier days, I didn't like, I didn't love Manchester United, but I really enjoyed watching Eric Cantona play. And it was, it wasn't the fact that he kicked someone or whatever, but it was more so he was a player with like style, you know, like the whole yes. flipping up the collar oh, thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. And whatever, like he was, uh, and I don't even know. I, I remember, well, I remember hearing the, the comments and stuff and they didn't resonate totally with me at that when I was younger, but it was his style on the field. Like he was a, a player with style and he was like someone who you knew wasn't going to take anything from anyone and not in like a Roy Keane dirty, going to kick you in the back of the leg kind of way. But yeah. And then he was just su such quality, like a number yeah. of, he has a couple of goals, uh, you know, where he would like chip the keeper from outside the box, like with like, not like a breakaway with like a whole bunch of people around him. He would just chip the keeper and he was like, yeah, he's a quality footballer. Um, but I mean, quality, so much talent, charismatic, and you yeah, look around the game today, and you're like, there's not a lot of players that's got that kind of charisma. That there's so many folk interviewed in this series, like Vinnie Jones, like love him or hate him for how he played. He was a character, and the game seems to have lost a, a lot of these characters these days, Steve. Yeah, and 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 for me, like. Uh... It's it's the teams that I have followed in other sports too. There's always been like one player that I enjoyed watching, and then uh, after once even when that once that player left, I just kept watching that team. So it was always one player in in, in football. It was a, a quarterback named Don Mikowski. Uh, it was nicknamed the Magic Man. Um, in uh, for the Bruins, it was Cam Neely, and in, for Man United, it was Eric Cantona. So it was like always one player that got me intrigued in the team and then once that happened then I was basically into the team I mean there, there's certain players at certain clubs like at, at West Ham Paolo Di Canio now we won't go into all the other side of Paolo Di Canio but as a player he just had that charisma as well like Roy Keane I mean he's shown this shows it on punditry now just he's and Graham Sunes and I know I'm I'm picking all these hard tackler nutcases I think which it's not what I meant to do as well but I mean, the, the other two episodes, episode three, it focuses on kind of Blackburn's decline, the rise of the celebrity footballer, because it's the class mm. of 92 coming through. And obviously, there's a lot of Man United stuff in this documentary, because during the 90s and the early years of the, the Premier League, Man United did dominate so much in that league. But that class of 92, again, love them or loathe them, the likes of Beckham, like they were a different class. Young guys that came through homegrown, they didn't go and buy them from, from other clubs that had developed well, them. The the real thing about them though, Michael, wasn't it wasn't uh was the fact that it was a it was a class. Like it was a whole group of them. Yeah. It wasn't just one or two players. It was like five to seven players, right? It's the, what the I think you dreamed of the White Caps in that twenty twelve team. Yeah. Of what that team would be for the White Caps. Yeah. That's true. Um, the, the, for me, the most interesting thing was because I didn't know all the background to it, but uh, I, I've always had some friends who who like Newcastle. And the, so the most oh. interesting part of the documentary was the, was the backstory of Keith Gillespie, because yes. I didn't know I didn't know about all his uh, gambling issues and whatever. And I remember I remember when he went to Newcastle and was like, like really quality. And uh, I, I always appreciated him also because he's, he's from Northern Ireland. Right. Yeah. So he always, I think, kind of drew those. Uh, or at least a little bit drew those, you know, he's New Northern Ireland, Manchester United, kind of winger, kind of like the George Best kind of yeah. comparisons. And so um, 
yeah, I, I I always remember him playing so well for Newcastle, and then wondering why he couldn't kind of kick on or like go to that next level. And I didn't know that there was all this huge stuff happening behind the scenes in his well, life. Well, I, I knew bits of it, and I'd seen a documentary about gambling and football and the effect it had. And he was he was obviously in that uh, along with the likes of Paul Merson and people like that. But yeah, that's that's featured in in episode three as well. It's so it's sad, really, because this was a young guy taken away from his home because of his talent. Then all of a sudden he's got fame, the spotlight, yeah. and a wad of money just thrown at him. And he, it's like, what do you do with that? You've got time it, to kill. And well, I think the sad, the saddest part of it, well, without giving too much away from watching the documentary, was he'd never been to a bookmaker's. No. And a player had said, oh, do you want to just come with me, keep me company? And well, then he was hooked. Well, didn't he sort of say it was like what they all did? They all went together. Yeah. They would all go together and put it like five down. Yeah. Five, well, that, five see, that's the thing. Like before it was all outlawed, like at East Fife's ground, there was a bookmaker's right across the road. And in the hour before kickoff, all the East Fife players were in there putting their bets on and putting their bets on the football for the day and stuff like that because you were allowed to do that back in the 90s. It wasn't something that was frowned upon. And like gambling is such a big thing in the UK and it's such a problem in the UK. And the other good thing in episode three in Newcastle Wise though is it features that famous Kevin Keegan meltdown. Yeah. Which is it never gets tired of seeing that. Is it a meltdown though? He didn't he say anything? It wasn't a meltdown, it was just Well, he was he was passionate and angry yeah. about oh, I would love it. I'd love it if we beat them. And he got parodied and pillared pilloried so much for it that it, it's now thought of that he had a meltdown because he couldn't handle the pressure I it was, was just anger passionate. because was yeah, yeah it was anger because ferguson knew what he was doing yeah. and then the, the last episode it's the rise of arson wenger arsenal the foreign player influx into yeah. the league and sky trying to buy man united oh yeah i didn't really know i don't really remember that i only actually had vague memories of it. i didn't know it had gone as far as it did but of course, it all worked out well because they got the Glazers instead. Maybe they should have settled with, with Murdoch and Sky. But, At least they'd have been on TV uh, uh, all the time. The, the Sky thing wasn't allowed to happen because they were worried it was basically creating like a monopoly? Yeah, monopoly commission. Yeah. Basically, you've got the team. You've got one team owned by the broadcasting company that has the rights to all of Sky, uh, all of the Premier League at that time. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating documentary. Highly recommend it. Four episodes, an hour each on Amazon Prime. I mean, Zach, you are not a big fan of the Premier League, but what did you make of it? No, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Premier League uh, because I, you know, personally prefer German football. Um, but the thing is, I think the thing that made it more enjoyable for me was the fact that, I, like, that's when I was first watching football on TV and I was watching those games on Soccer Saturday. So uh, it was an era that I'm more familiar with than I am definitely in the, the current era. So yeah, I mean, if you like if you like the Premier League, I think you'll really enjoy this. I think it's a much more enjoyable era as well. Yes, because there was more competition. Yeah, and there was so it, many close title races. Yeah, and it's just like a an interesting part of the history of the growth is maybe not the best word, but the changes in club football, right? Yeah. Like you see, well, the growth of modern football. I think yeah, is a go. fair way of yeah. describing it. And Steve, I know you've not had a chance to watch all of it yet, but. You mentioned you'd enjoyed the, the couple of episodes that you saw. 
I did. Uh, there were uh, good good moments in here and there. I've I've always enjoyed like even if it's a subject I don't enjoy currently, I'll always enjoy like the, the creation of something. Um, it's always because there's always interesting backstories yeah. that you didn't realize what was going on. They needed yeah. they needed more Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> Nobody needs more Jurgen Klinsmann. America a- wish they had Jurgen Klinsmann. But that was this episode's TVOD. TVOD. I don't need a TV screen. I just stick the aerial into my skin and let the signal run through my veins. TVOD. We'll kick off the show with, with that. Not every week. Got to give these guys a chance to, to watch some of the things. There, there's a good... Well, I think good. I haven't watched it yet. There's a good sounding film on Netflix called, called Ultras that I think we might maybe want to, to have a I, delve into next. That's the Italian one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've watched that. Oh, excellent. I will try and watch that this week. We can cover that the next time. But let, let's keep the, an international flavour. Let's move on to the current football chat now. And, we're, and the rest of this part, we're going to turn our attention to the Canadian national team and what was a fantastic window. Nine points from nine. It couldn't have gone much better from a Canadian perspective unless they'd actually clinched a berth in Qatar, which officially two points away, basically one point away because of the goal difference they've got. They'd have to be a massive swing. But realistically, they, they are in. They are, are heading to, to Qatar. That third win, we talked about the first two uh, on the, the last show, the third win on Wednesday night, 2-0 over El Salvador. It, it wasn't a gripping game f- from my point of view, I, I didn't think. I kind of, I had it muted and I was watching AEW at the same time just because it saved me listening to the commentary as well. And I, I thought it was going to be a formality, but they were made to work hard. Full credit to El Salvador. Tiba Hutchison with the first goal, didn't know too much about it. And then Jonathan Tiba's David, got back. Jonathan David with a fantastic individual oh, second goal. I mean, that, unbelievable. that was just the, the picking off the ball, the running, the cut, the lob. Well, if, if, it, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't uh, for Alfonso's goal against Panama, I think people would be talking about this as maybe the, the goal or one of the goals for Canada of the qualifying. Yeah, that's where we're at now, Steve. There's so many quality goals that you're like, whoa. Where, where do you rank these? Because you've got Sam's from the other night as well, and like Lawrence had a couple, yeah. and it's like so like many I, now. I'm I'm looking at the Atiba Hutchinson goal, and I think it hit the uh, went off the lower back uh, yeah. at this point. And so I'm I'm I want to label this the tramp goal because <laughs> the thing is, yes, it was a lucky goal, but. The fact that you have a 39-year-old running like the length of the field almost to get to there, and you have to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky, and I think this is the case here. Um, The Jonathan David one was just a poor throw-in by El Salvador, and you can't do that when you have a a world-class striker Mm -hmm. uh, on on the verge of... But if you go back and and watch it, like you can see... Because I know the camera on the live, the live, the camera switched, and so you couldn't see the, the actual interception... But even if you go before that, like when they win the throw-in, you can see him recognize and you see him start to move towards that defender. 
to like in case they pass it there. And so, yes, you're right. It was not a good throw in from El Salvador, but it's an incredible individual effort. That yeah, for sure. It, it was like it was it was like a goal my son would score in FIFA, where you you know break past the defender, you go in all alone, and you chip the keeper. Yeah, and and that and that's interesting because the goal that uh, Hutchinson got it was like a glitch in FIFA. Yeah, I heard some people <laughs> calling you that. Yes, I mean it was it was. I mean, Steve, I don't know about you, but I thought that was proper place, proper time. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if you if you're not there, you you can't finish those chances. You can't tramp it. Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, we spoke about this in the last show, and obviously, Zach, you just called in for for a little bit because you were in Hamilton, but. You look at that front three, putting Fonzie in there, like Fonzie, Lauren, David, and there's not many teams in the world that have a front three like that. It, like, in not hyperbole, not Canadian-tinted glasses here. That is three world-class forwards that you can have on the pitch. Well, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you. You're right. And, um, and it's helpful because they're not all identical, right? They... They they're not all the same type of player. They have all they all have different qualities and can play in different positions, and are flexible for different formations, um, and can all play together, which is great as well. I think though the thing uh, the thing for me that is the most encouraging about this qualifying the eleven game unbeaten or the seventeen game altogether unbeaten run or whatever is just how we've seen we have so many options at so many different positions that like, it's like the confidence has just grown so much and it's hard not to give a significant amount of that credit for that to yes, the players working hard and developing and playing at their clubs and all that kind of stuff. But to John Herdman and the coaching staff and all the people for like, encouraging and building up and lifting up these players to en- enable them to unleash their best performances. Right. Like, I mean, a lot of football, I remember back to the Swan guard days, right? Like as, as I got to know footballers back in the Swan guard day, you came to understand pretty quickly that they are um, a big part of it is emotional and mental and th- the encouragement and the mental side of the game and being in the right place and have, and having the right amount of confidence is so crucial. And it just feels like this coaching staff has created the the culture and created just like an environment for these players to perform to their best level possible. And it just has us all wondering like how how much more can they do this? Mm-hmm. You know, like how, what is their ceiling? Cause I mean, as a long serving Canadian supporter right now, it feels like the ce- the ceiling could like, could be very high, <laughs> even though that might not be truth in reality. Right. Well, the, the thing is, Steve, when John Herdman got the job, there was a lot of folk kind of poo pooed him getting the job and said, Oh, his style isn't going to work in the men's game, etc., etc." But I think any of the players that didn't feel that he was the one or didn't want that style, I don't think they're involved in, in the squads anymore. It seems like it, maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I, I, like, the thing is, football is football, no matter how you, who, what level you play it at. It's how you... The thing is what... And what the thing, the thing that the men's national team needed was uh, 
like basically believe. And yeah. they had, they seemed He's like they had the up. talent. They had the talent. And you can see the parallels from what he did with the women's team after the, you know, the, the failure at the World Cup to what they went to and then um, and what they've done here. And it seems like, like, that was actually more believable what he did with the women's team. This, the, what he's done with the men's team is just like, like another world, it, I, I, another dimension, whatever you want to call it. it it's just not, it's just not. I, I never imagined them to be in this position at this point, and yep. that's the that's the thing that like right now, they're at the top of the Concacaf with three games to go. The, the, all the records that they were spouting off at, at the post game show, like the first team ever to win six in a row. In a, in a World Cup like qualifying part, like in the final stage in Concacaf, all, all these things like about uh, like the only team to ever get points in U.S. and Mexico and stuff like that. It, it's just a, it's just a, it, it's hard to put into words. And I, I would not have believed this even like two three years ago, um, uh, that we would be in this position. Forget two three years ago. Prior to this um, qualifying window, I would not, uh, I would not have believed it. I mean, I think we all thought, yep, we've got a great chance of of getting through this, but they've made it look easy at, at times, and I I just have this belief in the team. It's like I had no doubt at all they were going to go to El Salvador and and come away with the the win in this one. No matter who's on the pitch, you feel they're going to do it. And John Herdman does deserve a lot of credit. And you speak to all the players and they talk about how it's a band of brothers and they're all in this together and. It's, it's amazing to see. The, the thing now, Zach, is Canada, when the next FIFA rankings come out, they're going to be at 33rd. Looking yep. at who's qualified for the World Cup and who might get there, I can't remember who put this out. I saw this on Twitter this morning, that Canada need to be ranked 30th, which is very doable in the, in the next few months, to be put into pot three at the World Cup. Yeah. And it's like that's a big, big boost for them then as well. Isn't it crazy, Steve? We're talking about which pot we're going to be in at a World Cup draw. Feels like we're too high. Are you a smoking pot instead of like <laughs> more believable at the World Cup than being? Yeah, it's pot. crazy. I, I've, I've been hearing that too. Yeah, and I saw the the live uh, FIFA rankings has them 30, 33rd, which is again awesome. Um, uh, I, I really hope we do get it in pot C because obviously that means uh, potentially better setup. Although I think it also means Scotland and Canada won't meet until the final, so that'd be good. Go, you are you pot C? I think we will be pot C if we get uh, again. Still holding out for this uh, Russian invasion, but, but uh, pot C is looking good. So uh, yeah, everyone's Canada get up into pot C at least, right? But also, I think. Every, I think everyone's also hoping that we get drawn into Group A with Qatar. Oh, no, no, no. Tell you, Qatar are not a bad team. Yeah, but are they, as be as whole... the other, are they as good as the other seven top-seeded teams? But are the other seven top-seeded teams going to be used to playing in those conditions and everything that goes with it? And they don't have a home field advantage. Every single team, even South Africa, who was one of the weakest hosts in recent years, got that home crowd bump. To an extent, yeah, I I would still prefer that. The March window is going to wrap things up in World Cup qualifying. Then you've got a June window, which is going to be the Concacaf Nations League, and we'll we'll come to that next. Then there's w just one more prep window, international window, which is in September. 
but they're only allowed to play two matches in that window. In those two games, I feel they need real testing. I think they need to go to Europe. They need to play two of the top teams over in Europe just to get fully, fully prepared for for what is to come. Imagine, uh, like, like we talk, like the obviously we're not uh, bringing this up, but the Honduras game, people had hypothermia there. How many, how many, how many people are going to have like uh, uh, heat exhaustion or like heat stroke or whatever from that playing there? Genuinely, the FIFA need to have minimum and maximum temperature conditions that games can be played in because to to start a game that was minus 16 celsius that felt like minus 27 and then a couple of players get hypothermia absolutely ridiculous and folk were like oh well, well you didn't say that when it was played in hamilton and edmonton i did i said that isn't good conditions for playing football well, and it also was wasn't fine. minus 16 yeah it wasn't Hamilton was fine because it was the afternoon. Like it was, it was nice. It was very nice in Hamilton. But I took off my big winter jacket and I was, I was. But great. I thought Edmonton was not that bad though either. No, Edmonton wasn't bad mm-hmm. either. Yeah, it was just. I, snow. I took off my winter jacket. Yeah, that too. it wasn't yeah. minus sixteen, feeling like minus twenty-seven. It was ridiculous. But no, they, they should that, have is, minimum and maximum conditions, and that counts for like humidity and everything like that as well. Because some of these conditions. And with the amount of games that these footballers are playing and the, the strains and stresses on them, there's going to be a, a serious injury, a, possibly even a fatality at one of these games. You know, John Herdman's coaching staff is fantastic, but I don't really see any World Cup type experience. Do you think Canada should hire some kind of advisory, like coach or something like that, to help with that kind of uh, setup and experience and going into a tournament like that? Would I that don't be think better? it would do any harm because like these or, guys haven't been in that kind of environment. Yeah. Or do you want to like not avoid that because that could be stepping on John Herdman's toes? That's what I was, I was, I was wondering that at one no, point. No, I mean, if, if the person that they hire, if their role is to like help with the prep and everything like that as to what yeah. to expect, I think that's a great, I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah, I, I think that that would be right because right now he's done really well in setting up these tournaments. Obviously, he's played in women's World Cups and, and Latin, so he's got that experience. But yeah, he's got that. But the men's World Cup is a little bit different. It obviously uh, uh, because it is more attended and it's it's busier. It's probably more packed and everything like that. So it might be have a different feel. So I don't know. Uh, it's it was just something that popped in my head. And of course, who knows? I mean, we keeping our fingers crossed that we will have Fonzie at the World Cup, but it was just mentioned this week that he could be out till April, Zach, which from a Canadian Bayern Munich perspective, football-wise, is obviously not ideal, but from a personal point of view and Fonzie's health, they're taking their time, which is good, but also a little concerning when it was mild to start with and now he could be out till maybe at least April. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think actually, I would, no matter where things are at, I think it's not so bad if he doesn't play in these last three qualifiers for Canada. Yeah, because uh, in one sense he's not needed, and in, in another sense, no matter where he's at in his recovery or his ability to play, uh, he doesn't need. Like, it would be nice for him not to have to play those whatever three games in seven days again. Um, so I think. I think I'm I'm pretty sure that Herdman and his staff are planning those games without Alfonso uh in their in their uh in their thoughts and in their approach. 
Um, and then it's also good, I think, for Canada, as we've seen without him in this in this uh, in this window, we've seen other players rise to the occasion. You know, you know, maybe none more so than Sam Matakubi. Um, yeah. So, and it also mean if he's not there. And Sam's suspended for the first game for Whitecaps fans. It'll mean it's likely that if he's fit and ready to go, Christian Gutierrez could start that that first the that first game against Costa Rica. Yeah, that'd be excellent. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully Fonzie gets well and he's good to go. And he's uh, you know next his next season in the Bundesliga, he's all fit and all you know in form, so that in November he's ready to roll. Do you guys think that uh, any you'll we'll see any like uh, new players in this next window at all? Oh, you mean like oh. the guys choosing to play for Canada now? Yeah, it'd be worth like, bringing a couple in, especially if like if we can wrap up the points. That third game in Panama might not be worth much anyway. Although I'm pretty sure John Herman's gonna, if they're unbeaten going into that, he's gonna want a hundred percent record to to come out the. The, the competition, not 100%, but you know, like yeah. unbeaten. Yeah, of course it wouldn't be unbeaten, but who are the two guys? Flores is the one. Who's the other one? Oh, Jeb- Jebison? Jebison. Yeah. There's also Stefan Metrovic, who's a Ser- half oh, yeah. Serbian. Right, he right. would be interesting because he's an, he's a kind of like a number 10 attacking midfield type. So he'd be but interesting to have. We could well. also see them because they, they have announced the, the CONCACAF Nations League for 2022-23 today. So yeah. there's oh yeah, that's a good point. You they're gonna be playing that in June. There's four games in June, so four proper competitive games. Canada will be in a group of four. They'll be playing four games between June second and fourteenth. Uh, the draw is going to take place in April, and then the remaining two games is going to be I think next March, and then you've got the finals uh, in June next year as well. So. There's a chance, certainly, to cap-tie folk in that, have a look at guys, maybe rest some of the European guys that have going to have had very, very busy seasons, obviously. So, I mean, in a way, that's good. In a way, it's kind of four games that, depending on who you get in the group, it might be not the most testing games, which I don't think is ideal heading into a World Cup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their approach is, is for that. Um one of the things, well, I don't, I don't know if you, uh, I heard that um, on the Brazil qualifiers that they, the Brazilian TV people were talking that, yeah, they're booking a friendly with Canada this summer. Oh. So I don't know, I don't know how true that is or not, but um, it'll be interesting. Hey, uh, one of the, that's one of a the, BC place. I'm happy with that. There's one of the, one of the, I mean, Brazil's, I mean, this is not your father's Brazil, right? Or whatever, whatever. Um, it's not even my childhood's Brazil. That's true. Same for me. Socrates. Um, no, I, uh, I, I kind of hope they'll do. One of the things I like about Germany is uh, Germany. What Germany does in their preparation for the World Cup is they'll they, they usually like their last three games, and two of the the two of, two of the games are against like um, opponents like from the part of the world who play or who play. The kind of football that their opponents will be in their group stage. Yeah, England actually do that as well. But but their last game, like virtually always, their last game before a World Cup is against someone, and they go out and smash them. And it's like it just builds the players' confidence. Like they okay. score usually score like no less than like seven goals, and it just like you, you uh, 
like they we've we, I can't I can't remember how long that they've been doing it, but it's been like many many World Cups. If you go back and look, their last game is against like Estonia or Faroe Islands or something, and they just crush them, and it gets all like the chemistry of the players and all that going, and you know, it, it, yeah, it. I would like to see Canada maybe try and do something like that maybe. But maybe Herbin will think that might not be good for the psyche. Well, hopefully we can put those questions to John Herdman. I am trying to get him on our 500th episode that's coming up in two shows' time. So keep our fingers crossed that we can get him onto that. And John, if you do still listen to the show, get in touch. We'd love to have you on. But that is it for our Canada chat. We are going to be turning our attention to the Whitecaps next. And we'll be back with that after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster, and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. The distant echo of faraway voices bought in faraway trains to take them home to the ones that they love and who love them forever The Christ that he steps Repeat my own and reflect my thoughts Calling and inviting Partially naked Mr. Bob Toffee rappers and the smallest papers Mr. Jones got run down Headlines of death and sorrow They tell of tomorrow Madman on the rampage and I'm down in a two-stage at a midnight Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM And kicking off this part, it's this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN It's a new month, which means new Artist of the Month And I've gone back... To the 70s, of course, because Caitlin thinks I'm stuck in the 70s. And I only listen to 70s music and watch 70s TV shows because I've been working my way through Top of the Pops from 1979. And the other day we're in the car and she's going on about, oh, it's all 70s music and old music. And I was like, Caitlin, will you shut up? I'm trying to listen to John Peel's Festive 50 from 1979 here. So I don't know where she was getting that from. But that was our new Artist of the Month. That was The Jam. One of my all-time favourite bands, and a band that gave AFTN its name. Away From The Numbers was a B-side from a jam single. That that you just heard there was my favourite jam single. Their second single, taken from their third album, All Mod Cons, released in 1978. It was their sixth single overall, and that was Down In The Tube Station At Midnight. And we'll have another jam song to kick off the next part. If you enjoyed that, if you enjoy our show, consider donating to CITR Radio's Fun Drive. It's in full swing at the moment. It kicked off on February the 3rd. It's running until February the 10th. We're proud to be a part of CITR Radio. You can go to citr.ca backslash donate. Find all the details there. Mention AFTN when you're donating as well. You can donate any amount you want. There's some swag on offer as well, depending on on what you donate. And if you donate $101.90, you could be one of the ones that gets a special Valentine's Day's dedication to you on the radio. Next week's show, 
because it's going to actually come out around Valentine's Day, we're going to be featuring love. It's going to be a love-themed show, guys, and I know that you guys love a lot of things about football. So what I want the listeners to do is tell us why you love football. Why is football the, the sport that you love so much? We'll give you our reasons in next week's show, and we're also going to hear from several Whitecaps players as well, just about why they love the game of football. Talking of the Whitecaps, so this part, we're going to be looking at the Whitecaps and the, the news of the week. There's comings, there's goings, there's not much happening in some areas, there's some things happening in other areas, there's a little bit of clarification on some things and still confusion about others. That's the Whitecaps for you. One thing that we do know though, Theo Bear is now officially no longer a Whitecap. Signed with St Johnston, we covered it in the last show, signed with them now until the summer of 2024. Teaming up with Spoonie over there in Perth in Scotland, I think it's a good move. We didn't get your, your thoughts on it last week, Zach. It, it's going to be tough for him, but I think his physicality suits the, the Scottish League really well. He's got a chance to shine there. Wish him all the best. Had a quick chat with him like during the week, just had a couple of messages with him and he's really excited to go over there and get going. I think this could be great for him. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this um, plays out for him because they're, they're in a relegation battle, right? Yeah, they won midweek though, so they're not bottom anymore. I, I wonder, like, I think it'll be good for Theo to have that experience of battling to stay up, right? Because he's just had to come off this winning promotion with Hemcam and now he's going to Scotland and he's fighting relegation. So he have quite the experience, uh, I think, uh, and he, I think it's good for him at his age to go through these type of things. Because I think it'll build his character as a not only as a person but as a footballer. Oh yeah, those I, kind I, of battles I, does so much for you. Totally. I, so I think, I think this will be uh, a positive move for him. Obviously, uh, out of us, you know the the Scottish League the best, but I think he is the type of player who could make a, a contribution. I know you guys, I think, talked about how you know. Marcus Haber went there, and it, it wasn't quite quite he's, a great. He struggled, fit. but other other guys have gone and done well. But that's the thing, though. He's a much different. Like Marcus Haber is a big dude, but he doesn't play like a big dude, right? He wants to play more with the ball at his feet. Yeah, and- he also had some injuries while he was there as well, and he was never the same when he came back from the injury that he, he had whilst he was at St Johnson as well, and he, he had a bit of a tough time. But I mean. There's a bit of pressure on Theo, and some of the comments I've read is like they looked at how many goals he scored for the Whitecaps. I was like, this guy can't score. We need a guy that scores. So I just hope the fans are are patient because they've got a really good signing there, and they're they've got a chance to see a a, a really good prospect really come on into his game and find his yeah. feet. Like I think, like we said before, like he's got the size uh, to handle the Premier League, but he's got the speed that you don't see in yeah. Scottish football. And that's where the big advantage for him could be to really make a name for himself. Well, aside from Johnny Russell. Mm-hmm. I've watched a, a couple of, of players this season that are similar, they're with other teams that are similar to kind of Thea's style and they've been thriving. So I think yeah. he can come in and do the same. I mean, at least he didn't go to Wraith Rovers. No, we, we will come to Wraith Rovers in, in the next part. But one striker has gone. Another one is hanging around. Till at least 2025, with a club option until 2026, Brian White on Thursday, his birthday, was announced that he had been extended for four more seasons. 
He's going to get a pay rise as well, which JJ Adams reported is going to take him to around the 400,000 mark, so almost doubling his salary. Now, obviously, it's it's always a risk to do that when a season's coming off, when a player's coming off a really good season. Was it a flash in the pan? Do you reward that? If you don't reward it now and he has another good season, then his worth all of a sudden has gone up even higher and you might have to pay a little bit more. So I think it was or, good for the, the Caps gets, to lock him in. Or he gets picked off by a Mexican team. <laughs> yes, or that as well. But I think it was good to, to lock him in. And a, a, a bit of stability and belief in Brian as well, I think will be really good for his confidence, Zach. Yeah, I think this is good for Brian White. I still have his reservations that he'll be able to pick up where he left off last year, although uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if I'm proven wrong on that. Um, well, yes, also coming back from a bit of some knee issues in the offseason. So if he doesn't come out all guns blazing, then there is that. Wow, okay. Yeah, I, I just have like recollections as a child. I remember like, I don't know, it was like Kelly Gruber for the for the Blue Jays, you know, had his big like 30 home run year and then they gave him the big contract and then he just sucked the next year. Not sucked, but he was like really bad. And then I remember seeing that in different sports, you know, multiple times, how a player works really hard, gets the big deal. And then the next year they don't quite hit those high notes again. So I just, I mean, for his sake as a person, I hope that's not what he has to, has to experience. Like I said, if like, if he matches his goal output that he did in half a year over a full year, I think it's worth it. And I think if he does that, then, this current money is worth it. And from what I understand, JJ also mentioned that there might be bonuses that if yep, he even exceeds and goal bonuses, so, and that's what you want. You want so to his, make him the money could actually more, more money. Yeah, exactly. So it could even be more. Steve, I I agree that if he gets you know whatever the twelve or whatever goals he yeah. got last year in the season, I think that'll be good. I yeah. don't think it'll be good enough for like the supporters though. You know, I think they'll be expecting more than that. The other well, thing I, well, I want to should say, be because technically he's the secondary striker to your DP striker. Well, he wasn't in minutes though, right? No, but like if you look at that roster, and like your DP striker should be your first choice striker, and then he should be your second choice striker, or that's the two that start in the games. Now, not getting into the whole Cava thing, that's how the supporters should look at it. But they won't see it that way if the playing time is similar to last year. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. The one thing I do want to say, though, is um, the $400,000 does not seem like that much. No, see, at first I thought it was, and then I thought about it. No. And I was like, you know what? Actually, that isn't. That's, well, a, that's a pretty I, I, good deal. I, I can't remember what the DP threshold is now, but it's close to six, or is it over six? It's either 625 or 725. Yeah, see, I'm like... Track. So, I mean, it's way off that, but yeah. these incentives will be good for him as well because it's like, okay, well, we'll give you this, but if you if you score this or you score this and you score this, you can He's, make a lot more money. Well, we'll uh, one question for you about this, though. Will Axel be referring to this as a new signing? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what you said, Zach, as well, is in the back of my mind because at East Fife over the years, we've had so many folk that's been trialists and they've been amazing for two or three games. Then as soon as we gave them a contract, they were awful. And we never saw the same. We had one striker in particular, who I can't even remember his name now, but he was great. Scored a couple of goals. We signed him, and I think he scored one more goal for the rest of the season. It was awful, but I'm sure that's not Brian White. Check the trivia book. Maybe he's in there. Probably is. 
One person that will not be a white cap though this season, unless things dramatically change, is Kwame Awua. I, I'm starting to think I've got the kiss of death. We interviewed Max. Wait, 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 wait. You're kissing players now? Shh, not allowed to. It's unofficial. And there's no hugs, there's no hugs. But yeah, we interviewed Max in December. Max is gone. We interviewed Theo Bear two episodes ago. Theo's gone. In that same episode, we interviewed Kwame Awua. And Kwame Awua is no longer in the Whitecaps training camp. All I'm saying to David Egbo is, I'm sorry if it happens because you were the third Whitecaps player we spoke to in that, in that episode. But yeah, um, he's not going to be continuing his trial with the Whitecaps. Uh, Axel has said that he wasn't high enough on the depth chart and the player wants first team football. In some ways, it's a bit of a waste because Kwame seemed the ideal player for how Vanny wants this team to play. A wing back, great getting forward, couple of great seasons in the CPL, just getting better and better and better. MLS experience, a great guy on and off the pitch and fantastic. From the player's point of view, he needs to be playing. You can't go from being a starter with Forge and a team that's winning championships and being great in, in CONCACAF football to then being on the bench for half the season or more because Goody's your starting left back now. Now he could challenge him and take that. Obviously different formations might mean that Kwame would have been the better option. But Axel did kind of mention that they've also got Javane Brown for there. So really, if they're looking at Brown and Gooty and Christian Dahomey, the wing-back Christian Dahomey, then Kwame, you're talking third or fourth in the depth chart. So in that, yeah, but, in that case, but, that makes sense. No, but for me, it doesn't make sense because if you're coming off the CPL, um, you have to take a one-year chance on MLS. Uh, unless you like, there's but no he's point had going, two years in MLS already. But he's, he's got now that he's done something in CPL, he's got to do one year at, at MLS. Like, he's got to take that chance because there's no point of him going back to CPL. Now, if he's got another opportunity somewhere else in MLS, that's fine. But he's got it. The, the amount of injuries that happen with the white caps, like last year was <laughs> wing back, yeah. was like we were devastated. He was going to get his chance eventually and to impress. So you have to take that risk with as a player. And so I don't agree with it. I think he should have stayed uh, if he was fourth. If he was told he was fifth or sixth in the depth chart, then definitely that that's a different story. But if he, if he was fourth, like you're saying, then he should have stayed. My it, it could maybe have been a money aspect as well, but I mean, we, we don't know. But the, Axel said the door's open. So like never say never, but... I mean, he's at a stage, Zach, where he does want to be playing week in, week out. Would not be surprised if he ends up possibly uh, maybe Pacific. Well, yeah, I think, you know what, I agree with Steve. Like, I think that it would make sense for him to spend a year at an MLS club where he's going to have to kind of prove himself again at the level. Mm. He'd probably be starting in MLS too. If he goes back to CPL... I, I just I just can't see him getting the money he will in MLS either. So it also feels like not a not the step forward you would hope. But he seemed to have impressed as well, and everyone that saw him were, were saying he was doing really well. So I was surprised with that. I thought he was a shoo-in 
to get a deal, I've got to say. But obviously not. But yeah, one of the, the players that was mentioned as left-back is Javain Brown. We saw him a couple of times there last season. We saw him at right-back. He can play centre-back as well. We've seen him with Jamaica off his own accord. <laughs> yeah, it seems like his year with the Whitecaps uh, impacted his play for Jamaica. Yeah, he got an own goal. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah. So we, we know a lot of things about Javain Brown. We've learned a lot of things in the last year about him. But one thing we haven't found out until now is does Javain Brown fancy a chocolate digestive? You're sitting at home, you decide that you fancy a hot beverage. What would be your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, something else? I'm not a coffee fan, I would drink a tea. And what would you have with that? Like, do you have a sweet tooth? Would you have a biscuit, a cookie, some cake, something like that? Probably a cookie. What, what's your favourite go-to cookie? <laughs> I like every cookie because I like sweet a lot. <laughs> well, you're like me, so that that's, that's good. I've got a really sweet tooth and... Hopefully you're not going to be like me and have huge dental bills, but are you a dunker? <laughs> no. Okay, that was great. Thank you so much, Javine. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So Javain Brown there, he's got a sweet tooth. Not fancying a chocolate digestive, but give him all the sweet treats you can. So the, the club are heading off to San Diego on Saturday for an 11-day camp in which they'll play four games. Only one of the draft picks is heading down to the camp. And surprisingly, it's not first-round pick Simon Beecher, but it's the third pick overall, second in the second round that was taken, American midfielder Giovanni Aguilar, uh, he's going down with them. The rest's going to train with the MLS2 team. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a surprise, but they've obviously liked what they've seen from him at, at training. So that's good. Goalkeeping situation. They hope to add another goalkeeper whilst they're in San Diego, but there's not a guarantee that they'll be able to get that done over the next kind of two weeks. I am hearing, though, that Isaac Bomer is going to now re-sign an MLS deal and is going to be in as the third keeper. And then they're just looking for somebody that is happy to, to be challenging Thomas, but knows that they're coming there as a number two. So hopefully sooner rather than later. And it's going to be a domestic as well, because they're obviously not going to waste an international spot on a, a keeper that's not going to be playing very much. But the draft pick situation is certainly interesting. I think it's more to do with the depth there, maybe, uh, that they, they wanted Beecher to be playing. Uh, I, I guess he's training with the MLS2 side. Yeah. Um, so it's probably that. Uh, maybe they, because uh, of some players missing or whatever, they thought Aguilar would be good uh, depth and everything. And I think he is a little bit older. I could be wrong on that. He is a little bit more of a veteran uh, guy coming out of college, so it might be a better option for there. There will be, though. One new midfielder in camp in San Diego. News was broken on Thursday by our good friend Harjit Jahal, who got the the big breaking story. Not content with having Canadian head coach John Herdman's son in the Whitecaps <laughs> organisation. Jay Herdman is in the academy and highly thought of. And I have seen him play 
and he's some player. He's he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. So they've got the American head coach's son now, Greg Berhalter's son, Sebastian Berhalter, is going to be signing for the Whitecaps. It's all set to get announced on Friday. We're recording this on Thursday night, so the time that this comes out, he will be announced. Only for 50000 in GAM going to Columbus. There are future considerations depending on appearances and performances and, and stuff as well. He's a homegrown through the Columbus system. After he came out of college, he signed a homegrown deal with Columbus in 2020. He made his debut at the MLS's back tournament. Made nine appearances for the crew in MLS. Was then loaned to Austin for their inaugural season last year. Made 18 appearances for Verdi. They had a, a loan with an option to buy, but chose not to buy. Then he went back to Columbus, and now he's he's gone for, for 50000 in GAM. And when well, the news came out, it, it hasn't gone down great, Steve. But what's your thoughts on it? Well, from what I've heard, and this is really through back channels, that this is this deal was arranged by U.S. Soccer Federation as kind of like a witness protection program in, <laughs> before the next window, just in case something went bad. They wanted to get him out of the country. <laughs> so that's what that's what I've heard. I'm, I can't confirm it. I don't have a second source on that, was but it, I've had wasn't, wasn't it Klinsman's son who used to tweet stuff and like everyone would get mad? Oh, at yes. Can we yeah, get Klinsman's so- son as well? Just get all the coaches' sons in. So, uh, so yeah, so um, essentially, uh, I, I think it's a good, it's a good deal for as a you know a depth player, and if it, worst case scenario plays for MLS two as well, like you'll see more time there. Yeah, I um, think he will. So he, I, he's he's a central midfielder. Like transfer market has him mainly as a central midfielder that can play attacking midfielder. You look at his stats though, and you look at some of his performance stats. He seems more like a defensive midfielder as like a replacement for Bikel as a number six. Yeah, and the thing is, he's only 22, I believe, right? He's only 20 yeah. years old, so he's still yeah. young. He's not like a veteran or anything like that. Well, it's it's not like Vancouver's going to need any like uh, help in central midfield, are they? Well, we'll, we'll come to that shortly, because <laughs> that was something else in Har's, in Har's article. But there, there's been a lot of blowback as... Why are we signing an American? Why are we not signing a Canadian player? There's surely Canadian talent out there. And like to be honest, there's probably better players in the CPL the, than from what we've seen from Berhout or so far. Um, Caleb Wilkins did a really good breakdown on 86 Forever, though, of Berhalter. And like looking at his stats, looking at his figures... He, he seems good at moving the ball forward, at breaking up plays, putting in defensive shifts. Um, some of the figures that he put up for Austin would have led on the Whitecaps team. Offensively, there's just not much input or output from him. It's like there's no assists, there's no goals from him. But he seems a guy that might be what Vanny is looking for, is the guy that kind of sits back a little bit. And he's a, he's an American player at this point. Maybe they just didn't want to rush anybody uh, out of their academy to fill those spots, um, and they can easily flip him to another team down the road because other American MLS teams probably will need uh, domestic players in the future. Yeah, I mean, by if the he, way, if he does well, our, I'm sure they can flip him. All our Canadian players are too good to play in MLS. They got to go to Europe. Uh, there was a tweet I got from Flagstaff Kid uh, at Tura. 
kid on Twitter, Zach. It says, It's a joke that a team across the aisle won the CPL Championship comprised of almost a majority of ex-Whitecaps Academy players, standouts too, and beat the Caps convincingly. Two players got tryouts with TFC, one signed, didn't get a sniff with the MLS club across the streets. Something's amiss. Yeah, but I think that might be a two-way street thing, right? Like, I think it might be the Whitecaps not wanting to bring back players, maybe to show that they gave up on them too early or whatever. And it might be the players who don't want to come back because it wasn't maybe the most memorable time in their footballing journey and they're, they've moved on to other things, right? Like, Yeah. Also, yeah, it should multiple. be said that the two that went to TFC is Lucas McNaughton, a centre-back, and Caden yeah. Chung, a full-back. And that's not positions that we were needing to, to kind no. of look at right now. I mean, it's good. It's a good depth signing. And I'll I'll keep my my thoughts open on him till I see him play a little bit more. I mean, I saw him play a little bit with Austin. He wasn't somebody that stood out. He's been capped by the US at under-17 level. Shocking. I mean, obviously, th- this is setting up... T- Toronto's got... T- Toronto. Toronto's got Bradley and Bradley. This is setting us up in the future for Bearhalter and Bearhalter, surely. But talking to midfielders, there was another little interesting tidbit in Har's article. Har spoke to Axel on Thursday and spoke to him about Akeo Alejandre and why he's not in camp and stuff. And it turns out that good old Whitecaps chestnut of visa issues uh, is the reason. Now, according to Axel in in this article, um, Kyle had a work permit for working and playing in the US last year. Then he got injured when they were, were down in Utah. So the club hadn't applied for a Canadian work permit for him. Uh, they applied in October to get that work permit because he had this season-ending injury. And as of right now, it hasn't come through yet. I do find this baffling as why you wouldn't have applied for both at the same time. I've got to say, and even, even if you hadn't, why would you have waited as late as October, knowing the issues we've had with visas over the years? Hopefully there's a good reason for this, Michael. Like, yeah, I hope there is as well. That's you, not forthcoming only, in that article. You only, yeah, you can only apply so much time ahead or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it, regardless, it does not look good. It's, I mean, at least they can play in the US by the looks of it. So that that's the, op- the, the opposite of Ali Adnan. A couple of other little tidbits from this week that's come out. The MLS Next Pro roster rules were announced this week by MLS. Whitecaps' second team in this league can have a 35-man roster. What? Yeah. That's so crazy. 24 signed professionals and 11 amateurs can oh, so, be on so there. Oh, so you're going to get on the team? I, I think I think Steve, we, we should get along at the next Whitecaps media match. We've got a shot. They're looking for goalkeepers, man. You're in with a shout. But seven international spots on these rosters as well, and they can be traded. Which you would imagine the Whitecaps are going to trade a lot of those since it's. I would imagine it's going to be a pretty domestic heavy roster here. But I mean, who knows? They might bring over tons of Scots just to, to I want them to. Me. I want them to trade one until 2099. <laughs> <laughs> You're hopeful that that league's going to exist till 2099? I just want to see that trade. I just want to like this, uh, this ascending the ASCII trade. I just want to see that yeah. on Wikipedia that 2099. I mean, I, I like the size of the roster in one regard, and uh, the Whitecaps can have a look at tons of guys and 
just try folk out, try all these draft picks out, see what it looks like when they're they're playing at, at a pro level. They they can get some amateur guys up. They can bring players in from the first team into to it as well. Play a little bit of audio now, just from Vanni Sartini. I asked him during the week when this was announced, just for, for his thoughts on it and, and how he plans to kind of use the MLS pro team in, in the grand scheme of things with the Whitecaps. Here's what he had to say. It was just announced a little bit of the roster makeup, how you can have up to 24 senior professionals and, and 11 amateurs on it. How do you envisage that squad playing out for you this season? Do you see it filling out with a, a lot of just the guys that you already know? Or are you going to use it as a chance to bring guys in that you want to have a look at? Well, no, I would say both. Um, you know, it's going to be mostly, for me, a place where uh, our our best guys of the academy go there and play. Uh, because that's, for me, the entire reason of that team. Uh, to see and to give a platform for the very interesting players that are young and I'm getting good, but maybe they're not good enough at the moment to trust them in uh, in MLS to to see if they can compete at, at good level. And now maybe you can have uh, the, uh, I would say the choice to bring them uh, in the first team is going to be much more uh, educated instead of just a, instead of just a guess. Uh, so I, I see that, but I also see as a, as a team where um, maybe in, a, in some specific situation we can use that team to put game fitness to to players that are uh, that have been out for some times they come back from an injury give you an example when uh, Kayo will uh, will join us back i think that i will use a little bit the M- the next pro to to, to have him have game fitness and be back for, with us. Because if not, it's going to be really hard for someone to get back and, uh, and uh, compete for the spot in the, in the first team. I was going to ask about that as well, because the press release about it didn't really mention too much about like movement between the MLS team and this team. So if someone's got an MLS contract, they can easily go and play for the other team, no problem. I have to be honest, that's a question for the club in terms of rules and everything. But I think that you can do like you were doing uh, in the old USL day, that you can do that uh, that short loan for a week or something to the other team and then bring him back. So Vanni Sartini there just chatting about MLS Knicks Pro. There's still so many things we don't know, like the schedule and how many games is going to be and where the games are going to be played and all this kind of stuff. So it's still getting sorted out. We also don't know who the head coach is going to be officially for the Whitecats, but we talked about this last time out and I cut it out and end up putting it in the show, but it's Nick Dazovic. He's going to be named the, the under-23 head coach. That should be announced soon and we'll, we'll have a chat with him about that. One thing I do want to ask, just to end this, and just to be serious about it, we've we spoke about this. Mo Farsi went to Columbus's second team. We've talked about the the pathway that you're in an MLS setup. You've got a, a pathway to an MLS team. You've got more eyes on you. But now that we know how big these rosters can be, and the understanding is there's not a salary cap, so money may not be an issue as well for some of these teams as well. 
Zach, how hard could this hit CPL? Maybe not this year, but next year onwards? Do you think CPL would still be a favourite option for Canadian players? Or do you think they might think, well, there's all these international roster spots, teams might want it, I'm going to go, pathway, more money? I think it can have an impact because you're right. Yeah, there is a potential pathway to MLS first teams. I think the biggest thing will will be the the money and how much players want to, um, yeah, how much players want like feel that they need to make as much as they can right away, as opposed to like, uh, you know, because um, I think like I think around the world, I think playing in the CPL, I think will have a higher um, will be seen as a higher league as it should yep. be than, than MLS next. Pro. I think there's more eyeballs on it as well because one soccer yeah. and CPL's got deals worldwide at the moment. And yeah. we don't know what's happening with MLS two broadcasting at the moment. So in that sense, I think it's it's a it's like a better platform for you as for your career. But I think you're right. There's a chance there's a chance, a, a high probability that you could make more money playing uh playing for you know MLS next pro I, I think I think that the ambition the ambitious player still looks to Europe not MLS as where they want to be yeah and I think that CPL is has been a way to do that and hopefully will be in more and more a way to do that and so I, I hope that Canada's best young players will choose the CPL over something like MLS next pro or USL. Yeah, I mean, Steve, what would be if a young player was to come to you and say, what should I do? Should I stay in the CPL? Should I look to go to the lower leagues of Europe? Should I look to go to an MLS 2 team and have that pathway? What would your advice be? I would say that the, the for me, I, I, I personally don't think it has that much of an impact because I think the Whitecaps are going to be playing a lot of their academy players initially. I don't think they're going to bring in players from outside. They're so no, I, but I other think teams might. I mean, you've already seen Farsi yeah. go. Yeah, and that's uh, it, the whole thing is, is for me is that you got to get playing time. Um, uh, again, I, I mentioned uh, Awosu from before. If he was going to be playing, uh, if they said you're going to be an MLS two player, then fine, go back to CPL. But if you're if you left because you were you know the bottom like the fourth person on the depth chart for fullbacks, then you should have stayed there. So. For me, it's better to be in the CPL than MLS 2 at this point. I think that that is probably because you get more eyes on you. You get more playing time, especially if you're young. If you're like 26 or 27, maybe you do want to go to MLS 2 because maybe there is a little bit more money. But if you're 22, 23, 21, I think CPL is better personally. Mm -hmm. The other thing as well with all of this is if you've got 35-man rosters or even 24-man rosters, how much game time are some of these guys going to get? Because we I'm, saw I'm, it before with WFC too. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if some of the players that are going to be uh, like part of the 35 are they MLS players? Like, well, yeah, I imagine that that could be because like Vanny spoke and like he in his talk there. I mean, he mentioned that Kyle is a guy that when he comes eventually comes, he's going to need to get match fit. So how do you do that in MLS two? Is the way that he's probably so going to do it. Maybe they keep ten roster spots open for MLS players. Maybe I don't know if they can rotate them in and out of those spots or something like that. And then you yeah. got the rest of the 
25 spots as regulars, and I think that's going to be a lot of academy-type players. Or people Let me speak to Dasso. Of... We can ask him all these things, and well, hopefully they've I... got some answers. Well, I think that's what they're going to have to do, is right. You keep, you'll keep slots open on the roster so that you can bring in players who are recovering from injury and all that kind of stuff. That's the only thing that would, would make it, sense. And I think the only reason why you have it so big. And I think that may, that's a good way to do it because then you're not uh, then you're able to not just flood the MLS two team with all MLS players. You keep a limit to it. Yeah, but that is it for our Whitecaps chat. We've got one more part to go. We're going to be traveling around the world, bringing you news from all over, and we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Brian White, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another song from our new Artist of the Month here at AFTN for February, English band The Jam. And that was their standalone single from 1978, their fourth single overall. That was News of the World. And I don't know how well-known the Jam are over here. They didn't have a lot of hits over here because they wanted to focus more on the UK. Uh, Paul Weller is maybe more known for his solo stuff. Never a a huge fan of of when he went to do the Style Council or his solo stuff. Love the Jam. As I mentioned, that's what AFTN is named after is a Jam song. We've got a lot more fun tunes from them to come over the month. And fun, fun, fun is the the word of the week and CITR Radio is having their fun drive at the moment. We've mentioned it earlier in the show. If you want to donate, they're trying to raise $25,000 this year. You can head over to citr.ca backslash donate. Any amount is welcome. Whatever you donate, just mention you heard about it on AFTN Soccer Show. It asks you for that on the form. They want to just know who's listening to what shows and, and who loves the station so much. And we know that you love us and that you'll love the station. So any little helps. And yeah, the more you donate, the more swag you can get as well. Find out all the details, citr.ca backslash donate. But the reason we started this part with news of the world is we're going to be travelling around the world now from the the safety of our armchairs without Joe Corona 
though. He decided not to, to travel with us th- this time. And we're going to start our travels in Canada. So yeah, we're, we're not getting very far at all. We're, we're going to kick off with a, a little bit of, of chat about the, the Canadian Premier League because we haven't talked about that for a few shows, but been a, a few things to, to kind of catch up on. Today, Thursday, February 3rd, the 2022 CPL schedule came out. It's a 28-game season. It's going to run from April the 7th to October 9th, 10th. York host Halifax in the season opener. Mouth-watering start for, for everyone, that game. I'm sure you'll agree. Okay, maybe not the most exciting start, but Pacific are hosting Forge in their season opener. That is a, a mouth-watering start. A rematch of last year's championship game. Change to the playoff format. We'll see the semi-finals become two-legged affairs, home and away, on October the 15th and the 22nd. The final will stay a one-legged affair, hosted by the higher seeds, and that will be on October 29th. Yeah, a fan of that one, Zach? Yes and no. I I, I still am sad that they kind of went away from the, hey, we're going to have a proper table. I really wish they would have done a done a uh kept a proper table with a proper championship and then had their own cpl cup run congruent with the season or at the end of the season whatever yeah but then, they, then pacific would not be champions or maybe they would be <laughs> but um but no i uh i don't know i i, I like one-offs i think one-offs are, are more enjoyable even like i do as the, well the, the first um the first season there was a the final was a home and away too right yeah yeah, no, I, I like I like one-offs for finals. I like one-off finals. I like one-off semis. Um, I don't know what you think, Steve. A lot of folk felt it was unfair that teams make the playoffs and then they don't even get a home game out of it. But that's like the MLS. You make, look at the Whitecaps. They made the playoffs, didn't get a home game out of it. You earn the right for that over the course of the season. If you're going to have playoffs, and I'd rather have a single table, but if you're going to have playoffs, you have to be rewarded for what you do over the course of the season. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. Then there's no point. Like if, if it's everything's up and even and everything like that, it, it, there's no point of doing like in other leagues, when you do a series or something like that, like a best of seven, obviously you can't do a best of seven in, in football, but uh, the home team gets the extra home game uh, when you do a best of seven. So it should be um, like in, in when you're having you, the two games never made sense to me. It's never really done. Like I've always thought that one game is good enough, and the team that's seeded higher should be the one that hosts the team. Or you do like the random draw. I mean, it, it is what it is. At least, hopefully, we'll get a, a full normal season. Most games are going to be on the weekend. Only six midweek games are, are scheduled throughout the the league this season, which is fantastic news. Starting um, with the, starting with the first one. That you talk yeah, about. starting with the first one. <laughs> Pacific's only got one as well, which is also on a on a, a Thursday as well. Pacific start off with three home games in April. Their, their season, I haven't looked at all the other teams' fixtures, but games are in chunks, clearly for travel purposes. So it's like three home games, and they're away for three, and then home and away, and it's all in all in chunks. Only one home game though clashes with a Whitecaps home game, so I think that is good in terms of people that. Do you want to go and watch both? Work in both ways. Like people from the island that have Whitecap season tickets that are coming over. People from here that have thought, I want to get to a Pacific game, but oh, that one clashes with the Whitecaps or whatever. 
So only one clash. I think that it is fantastic. Hopefully we can get over to a few more games this year as well. Pacific's games, there's one Thursday home game, which is the day before Canada Day. So it's kind of a weekend mm-hmm. feel to it anyway. Yeah. Three Friday nights, six games on a Saturday, four on Sunday, because it's 14 and 14 home and away, 28-game season. Fours come to town on April 10th for the championship game rematch. The day after the the Whitecaps, or yeah, that game is the day after the Whitecaps are hosting the, the Timbers in MLS action. So I'd hope to maybe make a long weekend of it, but I can't miss the Whitecaps play Timbers in a Cascadia game. Um, so maybe I'll stay for a little bit after it, but I hope to get over for that one in the 10th. What, what about you, Zach? It's the week before Easter. I know Sundays yeah. aren't a great time for you for going to football games. Yeah, no, it'll... Uh, I got I got to see how the rest of the footballing calendar is going to line up for the year before I... Oh, yes, your trip to Qatar. We have booked your flights. <laughs> Tell us how it goes. I'm sure it'll be fun. You can be our man on the ground. It would be <laughs> Melting nice. into the sidewalk. It, it would be nice. Hey, if you want to go, I will get you accredited. I got a dream. We're going to Qatar. Steve, I know you're probably not going to Qatar. Are you going to make it to your first Pacific game this season? It fit in Qatar probably pretty well. Um, but um, yeah, Pacific probably. I probably would join Oh, actually, I'd, I'd be concerned they might take my passport as well. Um, uh, uh, I, I think I probably would make it to a Pacific game or two this year. I think especially if it um, everything kind of winds down, uh, yeah. cross fingers and toes and whatever, nuts. Um, but if, if if everything goes well, I probably definitely will attend a game or two here and there. We could maybe all get over on the 10th of April for that championship game. We can see how that, that goes. Now, these dates have been put out there by a couple of different places just now, but it's not been confirmed as far as I understand, which is the dates for the Canadian Championship. With the first round on May 10th to 12th, quarterfinals May 24th to 26th, the semis in June 21st to 23rd, and the finals somewhere between the, the 12th and the 4th of July. Those now, are all midweek, right? Like normal? Yeah. I read an interesting article on Guelph Today, because I obviously read Guelph today all the time. Um, Someone had shared it with me because it was an article on Guelph United who won League One BC last year and will be in the Canadian Championship for the first time. They're hoping that they can get drawn at home and it's going to cost them over $10,000 to get their stadium up to, to scratch if they want to host the game because they have to get rid of all the football lines and they have to have proper broadcasting facilities and everything like that. But they feel it would put Guelph on the map and it would be it would be worth it. So fingers crossed the, that they do get that. But that article and quotes from the, from the Guelph camp seem to indicate that the three MLS sides won't be coming into the tournament this year until the quarterfinals. If if Vancouver gets preferential treatment over teams that have uh, have eliminated them, including last year, that's pretty pretty sad. But the Whitecaps were the highest finishing MLS yeah, team. Yeah, it should it should be it should be Toronto MLS as the yeah, team Toronto. that bows out, and that's yeah. why all well, but three he, teams but are probably going to be in the quarterfinals. But this is apples and oranges, right? You should compare it to the previous year's tournament. 
not the no Zach, Zach, not the rules that they have stated in the past. Yeah. It's based on it's on standings in their well, domestic. I, I I hear you. I know that's how they've done in the past, but it should be like the competition you're in should like it should be impacted by the previous year's competition. But you just have to a, look at a Champions League. You can win the Champions League in CONCACAF and not even be in the tournament the next year. Because that's all based on league positioning. Yeah, I don't agree with you, Zach. There, I, I but, think, but that's I think, that's a. Those but are I do agree. in different leagues. I, I think. Different... I think if you. I think if you substitute TFC for Vancouver, then I, I agree with your point there. Uh, TFC should be the team that has to play in the first round. Yeah. and allow other teams to get. Yeah, through. Pacific as as champions, I think should get a bye to the the quarter. TFC was the worst MLS team. Uh, in their standings, so they should be the one playing yeah, in the first cool. round. Montreal I, I, with the holders as well. I, I'm the, okay, the I, I'd be okay with that for Toronto as well. I just think that it should. I think they should shift from what they've done in the past, and it should be about what you did in the competition the year before. Yeah, yeah they they have to yeah, they, if they're going to do that. They have that to a, announce it that from next season. Yeah, how you, you do this year? Yeah, the problem is like last year, Mark DeSantis was fuming that the Whitecaps did not get a buy, and I'm pretty sure. That if the CSA went to Toronto and said, "Yeah, you're going to be in from the first round," Toronto's going to be like, "No, no, no, we're not." Mark DeSantos wasn't helped out by his organization, who chose to play the game away. Yeah, but that was to that, you say that, but then at the same time, that was the Whitecaps growing the game in BC. No, <laughs> yeah, no. it's all about TFC at this point. Yeah, TFC that, is that's the one exactly that be in the first round. Oh, yeah. hey, hey, don't get me wrong. I think TFC should not be should not have a a buy past the. Uh, past the uh, other teams either like i think it should you know. be pacific montreal if there's three teams get buys it should be vancouver montreal and pacific as 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 according to last year's rules and 100%. if you want to change it then you change it before this tournament is played this year and yeah you say right. this year I also, I also agree with you guys that you need to announce these things ahead of time yeah yeah because then you, then you're just going to be that uh, the mls uh napkin rule uh setup that you <laughs> yeah. have that, where you change the rules at the dinner but that's what they've already done that right they have done it a few times. Yeah, because wasn't Van- yeah Vancouver has been jobbed at least once or twice. From, yeah, from yeah, that's the problem, and that's yeah. where I think they're just going to job Pacific this time. It's just going to be a different BC team. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like oh yes, SBC. We don't care about them. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit quickly about Pacific and some of the the off season stuff there. So I mean, Pamaduka has now gone. He's now joined the the second team down for Dallas uh, in I, Texas. I like Pa. I don't agree with that move at all. Yeah, it, it's, it's a strange one. We've not really had a chance to chat about it on the show, but James Merriman's come in, which I think was always the plan anyway. He's like been there term, since yeah. day one. He was the assistant yeah. to, to Silverbauer. He was assistant to Pa. He's uh, local, yeah. Local, knows the community. His dad and whole family's involved in the, the local community. I think it's a great appointment. I think it's the right appointment. And all the best to James in, in this. What Paz chosen to do, though, now, obviously, he went far in the process for Dallas for getting the MLS job. So, I mean, we spoke in the last part about Kwame Awua, and we said sometimes you maybe have to take a year to kind of bet on yourself. And I do wonder if Paz, like, I'm going to do this to get in the MLS system, show what I can do here, and then if I do well, I'll get an MLS job next season. Yeah, possibly. It's the only it thing has, that makes sense to me. I, yeah. I, I, I don't see that happening, though. Uh, I don't think people are going to be going looking at MLS 2 teams. Like, if he went as an assistant, that's fine. But MLS 2, I don't think there's going to be that many, like, hires from that position. Uh, MLS 2, 
MLS two coaches to tend to go into like and become assistants at the MLS level. Yeah, also I, a few I, of them that have got jobs have struggled. Look at LA Galaxy. <laughs> I still think he should have stayed a, a, a year or two or more at uh, Pacific and kind of continue to prove himself at that level. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Considering I, that he had Concacaf too to play. Yeah, and the thing is, like Pa leaving, there's been so many other departures at Pacific as well. There has been an addition, apart from James Merriman, Stuart Neely. Yes. My fellow Scott has joined Pacific as new technical director of football. Last couple of seasons, he's been at UBC Thunderbirds on the, the women's side of things. Obviously has had involvement with the Whitecaps before, TFC before, the college game uh, out east. I think it's a good appointment. I've always had a lot of time for uh, Stuart Neely. Yeah. I think when he was with the Academy of the Whitecaps, um, he was very open uh, with his I remember protectors. That, I remember we had that conversation conversation at Newton uh, Athletic Park that we had that one time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I think it's a good appointment for for Pacific, and it, he'll certainly help James Merriman a, a lot of stuff as well. If we look at some of the playing departures, though, like Lucas McNaughton, we talked about that in the last part. He's gone to TFC now. Ollie Bassett has gone to Ottawa. Tern Campbell and Alejandro Hojapur have gone to Forge. Those last three. All free. All, all free. And yeah. it's it's because of these one-year deals that, that clubs sign and they don't get anything in return. There's so many transfers within the league. There's so many one-year deals done. And I understand why, because you don't know if a player's going to work out. You don't want to give them a deal and be stuck with them. We've got this problem at, at East Fife at the moment. We're about to get relegated. We gave so many players this year two-year deals. We're now stuck with these guys for next season, and they're not up to the job. So I understand why smaller clubs go with the one-year deals. It's also the peril of the salary cap in this league, and with it being so low that... Oh, I might want to keep this guy, but he's wanting more money and we can't really afford to give him money because we wouldn't be able to fill the roster or whatever. So then someone like Ollie Bassett goes to Ottawa and then Forge snap up these guys because, I mean, I was going to touch on Forge later, but we'll touch on them now. Apart from Campbell and Hojapur, they've added Ashton Morgan. Um, They've also added Kwasi Poku and former Whitecaps trialist Abukar Sissoku, who's joining them from Halifax. So... Forge seem to be doing well with their salary cap, but obviously we've talked money that they might get for winning things and their CONCACAF league involvement and, and everything like that as well. I, I don't like, Zach, that there's so much movement within the league. I think it's um, part of the like growing pains and of being such a such a young league, right? Like, I think it's yeah I I don't like it either person personally but I think it's like hopefully as things grow uh and the uh hopefully over time the salary budget or whatever grows that you'll see this change as, as well when it comes to the the moves you made I think it's important to note that that uh Pacific made money off McNaughton yes and, that, and that'll help, 50 I believe it was that'll help them as a football club Manuel Veth broke that Amir Didic is going to be going to them, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. But at least that is a very, very good addition for them. And yeah. in all honesty, I think a possible upgrade on McNaughton, who was a key player for them, and you saw his value to the team when he wasn't there. I don't think 
he's that great a centre-back, to be perfectly honest. I'm not just saying that because he's left. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't let him take a penalty, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do feel it's a bit of a... a bit of a rebuilding program maybe for Pacific this season and mm-hmm. James Merriman's going to have to to act smart and get some guys in. I mean, there's been some key players re-signed. Uh, Callum Irvin, Jamar Dixon, their captain, Josh Heard, Baldy, Diaz, Dadaluki. It's a decent core, but he needs to get some key guys. And there's still time, but I definitely think he needs to, to look at some guys and get some big, big additions in there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what it what it finally looks like. But you're but for sure they they they're going to need some, I think, further reinforcements. Well, Forge looks so strong, and they they are making the addition now because they're kicking off in Champions League action. First time ever CPL team in the Champions League. Cruz Azul. It's not going to get too much tougher than that. Home and away on February sixteenth and twenty fourth. So we wish them all the best in that. But when you see them just adding all these top talents it's hard to look beyond them this year I think but mm. I don't know yeah. it gets to the playoffs and single championship games and anything can happen but let's let's get our travel gear on let's go around the world and let's move down under next because some sad news coming out of down under friend of the show although I don't know if he is anymore since he, he didn't seem to like us a little bit towards the end but former Whitecaps head coach Carl Robinson Sacked by Western Sydney Wanderers this week. I watched his last game in charge. It was shocking. The commentators had turned on him. They described the performance as abject. They said it looked like 11 players from a second team that had gone out for a kickabout and were told not to tackle the first team guys. (laughs) It was brutal commentary, but it was a brutal performance, and he has really struggled with them. Shades of Whitecaps 2018 uh, has to be said with how the team was playing. Not good at all. I don't think it was a surprise. I've been on like Robbo sack watch for, for a few weeks, but obviously wish Robbo well. Where do you think he might end up next? I think it has to be someone like the English Championship or League One. Yeah, no, yeah. I, you'd think his time in Australia would be done. I, uh, I don't think he's getting another job in Australia. I don't think he'll be back in America. So, no. yeah, I think you're right. Probably somewhere in the UK. I wish well, him for well. me. For me, the description that you're giving, it seems like the players gave up on him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt it like, like it in that game. I have to say that. Oh, for, and me, that. for me, that's more on the players than Carl Robinson. Well, I, th- I think what was telling as well, was they, yesterday, they played their first game without him in charge and they won 1-0. Hmm. But you do all often get a kind of new kick, a new, yeah. a new bump as well. But you can watch the A-League free and legal on YouTube. The channel is called Keep Up, all one word. Um, they've got games on regularly men and women's A-League as well. But we're, we're leaving Australia now. We're getting to, to Africa because the African Nations Cup is on. It's the final coming up on Sunday. It's not been a great tournament. I've actually been quite disappointed in it, to be honest. Goals have come hard to come by. In the group game, there was 4-0-0 matches and 15-1-0 games. It has not been very exciting. It's got a bit more exciting than knockouts. There's been a couple of penalty shootouts because of 0-0 draws. But 
I wanted to mention this for a couple of things. One, the players have looked tired out there. And I think the result is there's not a lot of quality. And I think a part of that is they've been playing so much football. And that, to me, is a sign of what we would see if we switched to biennial World Cup. Oh, yeah. I think we would get more tournaments like this. It's not been great to watch. And that is, you're going to run these players into the ground. Yeah. Oh, totally. That I mean, that World Cup every two years is like one of the worst things I've heard in a while. Yeah. <laughs> worst and, ideas and I've heard in a while. I was sc- I'm, I'm just scrolling through some of the games and I, all I see is like there's a lot of red cards. Uh, besides yes. some of these games, there's a lot of red cards. They, like, they don't out. have VAR. Especially the round of 16. They were like, Kai, Kai Sierra Leone did okay, right? They, they, they got... Yes, there, right? except he then missed a vital penalty and, and his then, house and was then, under police protection. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, people were going to... I saw that. Yeah. The finals coming up on Sunday, though, it's Senegal versus Egypt. Egypt's won it the most times, seven. Senegal have never won it, so I have to... I you but kind of won the underdog, but I have been to Egypt and speaking to folk there, so, they just love their football so, so much. So it looks there. like Senegal's the team that's scoring a lot of goals, though. It's yeah. Of, so it's, is, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, it's Sadio Mane versus uh, Mo Salah? Yes, is it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of other things just to talk about from the tournament. There was a deadly crush before oh, yeah. Cameroon yeah. played Comoros in the round of 16. Eight deaths, just so sad. Horrific. Horrific. And the semi-final that I watched today was in that stadium. And they had talked about possibly not playing it there. I don't know that they should have. It just, it was just a bit eerie seeing another game getting played there. But that game, though, um, had one of the the stories of the tournament because COVID had hit the the Comoros Island so hard and all three of their goalkeepers were out. They had a left-back playing in goal. They only lost 2-1. And they had a couple of close calls themselves. It was a fantastic performance. I think they kind of captured the the hearts of the footballing world there. And another game, I don't know if you guys saw, Tunisia versus Mali, one of the early group games, where the Zambian ref blew for full time in the 85th minute. I heard about that, yeah. And the Tunisian players were going mental at him. And then he eventually restarted and then blew full time in the 89th minute. There had been substitutions, goals, and water breaks. And he's like, no, that's it. I'm going off now at 89 minutes. He didn't get to referee another game in the team. Maybe, they, maybe they're not paying overtime there. <laughs> maybe. So we're going to leave Africa now. We're heading to Scotland because I, I, I've i got to talk about this. And it's, it's not a nice story, but I, I just think this is a great example of football clubs being tone deaf. It's like a 101 for any football clubs and how not to handle a controversial signing. So so before we get into this story, it, it's, it's going to discuss some sensitive stuff um, and it might be stuff that people find very upsetting or they don't want to listen to. So uh, this is pretty much the end of the show apart from Wavelength. So if, if you decide you don't want to, to listen to this, then I would maybe switch off now because it's going to cover things of a sexual nature and if people have been following like the Mason Greenwood stuff this week, it's going to touch on similar issues to that. So just a a little warning to to people before we get into that. Wraith Rovers signed a player on Monday night at the transfer deadline called David Goodwillie. 
Now, David Goodwillie used to be a really good prospect. Played for Dundee United in the era that produced so many other top players came through that Dundee United team. Unfortunately, David Goodwillie, off the pitch, he'd been convicted twice for assault. And then there was an incident with him and another player where he was uh, charged with rape. And it didn't get to the criminal courts because they didn't think they could get a conviction. So the, the criminal case fell down. So he was never convicted in a criminal court of rape. So the victim took him through the civil courts. The judge said that, yep, the players had raped the, the girl and awarded her £100,000 in damages. So then, obviously after that, he, he was convicted of that and his career as a top-class footballer was over. Rightly so. He then signed for a lower league team called Clyde, and Clyde play in his Fife's division. There was quite a lot of uproar, but it because it was a smaller team, it, it didn't make all the, the national headlines. So he's been at Clyde for five years. He's played against these Fife several times. You can imagine the abuse that he gets at matches. He is a very good player at that level. So it was rumoured that he was going to sign for Wraith Rovers. And one of their most prominent sponsors is the crime writer Val McDermott. I don't know if you guys have heard of her. She's written so many crime books and won a lot of awards. So she said if Wraith signed him, she would be ending her sponsorship of the club. So on Monday night, they did sign him. There was a huge public outcry. She tweeted that she was taking her support away. She sponsors the, the home jerseys. The away jersey sponsor said, we want to terminate immediately. We do not want our names on your shirt. Other sponsors pulled out. Board members resigned. Club people resigned. The women's team captain resigned. Another women's player resigned. The team then, women's team said, we don't want to be called Wraith Rovers anymore. And they were setting up their own club. Wraith Rovers, though, issued a statement that was the most tone-deaf statement ever where they said that they basically acknowledge what has happened with him in the past, but this was signed for footballing reasons, Zach, because basically, and I'm summarising, but not that much, he's a good footballer, so that's why we've signed him. How would you react if your club did that? It's one thing when you, it's one thing when you don't know how people are going to respond, right? after a period of time, but when it was so clear that the response was by the people who are your club was going to be so negative. It's, it's a little bit surprising that they didn't course correct before signing him. Yep. One other thing I think is important in this, Michael, from what I've read and what you've told me and stuff is even though he had to pay this money, he has kind of not been remorseful. Yes. Yeah. That, that he's always denied it. He's yeah, never he's, shown any remorse or any contrition. He appealed the decision that got thrown out in the appeal courts. So he's yeah. never admitted to it. And there's been folks stick up for him because they say, well, he never had a, a criminal conviction. It was just a civil conviction. And it's, it's like, that does not matter. Yeah. Because I'm someone, who, I'm, someone, I'm someone who believes in forgiveness. I do a, as well, but you have to earn that forgiveness. Well, yeah, I, I would say that if someone didn't show remorse, then it's it's hard to hard for society in general. Overall, from a moral standpoint, you don't do these. And it's just, there's so much, uh, like you mentioned to yourself, so much tone deafness in this uh, from every step of the way. 
even people like the like not realizing your main sponsor is saying that you're we're, I'm going to pull if you're if you do sign this guy you still had an opportunity not to sign the guy and you did anyways that's what doesn't make sense to me yeah forget after he was signed before he was signed there was enough of an uproar where you don't do it yeah going with what you say there Steve this is what their initial statement said as with all new signings the club has carefully considered our position as a community club and we completely respect the differing views amongst fans and stakeholders, many of whom have spoken to us directly. As he previously played for Wraith Rovers, we consider him to be part of Wraith Rovers Football Club. Um, and then the last sentence is, first and foremost, this was a football-related decision. So, after all the outrage, they were meant to be playing him on Tuesday night, but he had he failed a fitness test and didn't actually play in that game. It was physical a game fitness or physical fitness. Yeah, yeah. fit and proper. I think was possibly the test that that he may have failed. So, what jerseys did they wear that night? Well, they wore their normal home strips. Queen of the South, who they were playing, wore their third strip, which is a special pink strip that they're wearing this season to promote um, against violence against women. It was like beautiful for Queen of the South to do that. It was like a fantastic that, that they did that. And they got a late equaliser, which made it all the better. But today, they've backtracked and they've said, we got it wrong. In reaching our original decision, we focused far too much on football matters and not enough on what this decision would mean for our club and the community as a whole. And they said that they've listened over the last couple of days. It's an unfortunate incident. I can therefore confirm that following a meeting of Wraith Rovers board, the player will not be selected by Wraith Rovers and we will enter into discussions with the player regarding his contractual position. They've paid a fee for him. They've given him a two-year deal, but they've now said they're not going to pay him or play him. But he's still their player. So either the player's going to say, OK, I'll just walk away or they're going to have to give him a payout. Either way, it's taken outrage by the fans, sponsors walking away, people cancelling season tickets, but they've still paid all this money for the guy. It's It baffles me as to how a club can be so stupid. If they mutually, sorry, if they mutually agree to, to terminate ways, even if they have to pay him something, mm-hmm. yeah, then you can go that's, sign that's, somewhere else, right? That's he the best way. A free... He can be a free agent. Yeah. yeah, that's the best way to do it, because then he's not even in your, like, Somebody will keep putting them, even if they somebody deletes them. It'll be somebody will stick them on the Wikipedia page, uh, definitely as a as a roster player. Well, this thing will be on the Wikipedia that, page forever under like yeah. controversy or scandal. So, or so it's 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 best to just you know say okay, we'll we'll pay you this amount. Oh. Just go and sign with somebody else. With uh, will the sponsors return now? I think they will. Okay, but there's not a guarantee. Because it it's taken out like they they've gone against them knowing what the the backlash was and even after the backlash they issued that statement yeah. so I I think many will but I'm not sure that all of them will I don't know if the women's team will last couple of things I want to say on this what's been forgotten in all of this is the victim this poor woman yeah every couple of years has to go through and relive this and have it played out in the media and see his face everywhere because he signed for another club. This poor woman's got to go through that. And it, it just, it's just shocking that, that this has to, to be the case. But I don't know what it is with footballers. 
And we talked about the in the first part the rise of the Premier League documentary and all the fame and the celebrity footballer. But you've got these young men that are paid so much money and they're celebrities and yeah, they can get all the women that they want. And they ruin young women's lives forever. For what? And they ruin their careers and they ruin their own lives as well. And you've got the whole Greenwood thing that's going on just now. It's it's like, why do you do that and you ruin a woman's life, you ruin your life, you ruin your family's life and the stigma that goes with it? I just, I don't get it. It just seems to be more and more. There's been so many in the last year, footballers that's been arrested for these kind of things and investigated for these things. It's well, just... Is Absolutely it, it's, shocking. It's true, right? Ronaldo is not a, like we'll never go to America again because he'll get arrested, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially like what it is is these players, and it's not just footballers; it's every sport. These yeah. guys have been told that they're the greatest, all like from a young, very young age. They think they can get away with anything, and when somebody uh, puts a little bit of opposition towards them, uh, they just can't handle it, and that's essentially all it is. So it's it, it's got to be. It's got things got to be fixed at a young age to tell them that um, you just don't treat people this way, um, even if you are a superstar athlete. And that's all it is. That's it's as simple as that. You just can't keep praising these young players and thinking, letting them know that they could get away with anything. But you, you think with all the high profile cases that these people would learn and they just don't seem they to. They don't because they don't think that their thing they're above. The, yep. They think, oh, it happened to him, but it won't happen to me. I'll get away with it. And that's it, the problem. It, it, it's so sad. And I, I know it's not a, an easy subject to talk about. I'm sorry if anyone that's listening to this is it, quite upset or if you've been affected by this, just make sure that you, you speak to someone about any of the issues that, that we've raised. So we'll finish with a, a much happier thing, which is going to be this week's Wavelength. And we're continuing our travels around the world by going to Holland for this episode's Wavelength. And a song from 2020, a band called Grime Deluxe. And this is a song taken from their Illegal Alien album, and it's simply called Football. Grime Deluxe there with a song from 2020 
called Football, taken from their Illegal Alien album. You can find that on Bandcamp. Simplicity at its finest. I enjoyed that one. Let us know what you thought. Also, don't forget you can donate to this year's fund drive on CITR Radio. CITR.ca backslash donate. But that is it for this episode of the show. Just before we go, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online. Any final thoughts or anything that you've learned this week, Steve? So uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And uh, what I think I probably learned this week, it's probably easier to get a visa for a Brazilian waxer than a Brazilian soccer player. I think sad but true. Zach, any final thoughts from you? Anything that you've learned this week from your travels to Hamilton and back? You follow, follow me on Twitter if you want at Zachary M. And uh, yeah, I, I think I said it earlier, but uh, I, I've got a dream. We're going to Qatar. And of course, the, the best ever wavelength song that we've played is We Have a Dream by the Scotland 1982 World Cup team. Didn't go very good for them. Hopefully it goes better for Canada and Qatar, but that's still one of my all-time favourite football songs. I am Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff, AFTN.ca. Give us a like, subscribe, etc. on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. And leave reviews, please, on all the podcast places. If you enjoy this show, it would really help us out. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. We will be back soon with our Valentine's Day love special. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care, and mon the caps and Ali La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. E.F.